Thank you for listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, check out our website at stttimothysstores.org or visit us at 6 p.m. on Sundays at the Nathan Hale Inn. Amen, Father. And we do agree. Great are you, Lord. Whatever our situations, whatever our circumstances, we believe that you are great and you have great plans for us. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You guys can have a seat. And so we just want to create a little time to engage with God's word together as a church community. So before we read it, um, I just want to give you some space to prepare your hearts to kind of let God's word sink in, to let him really speak to you individually before he speaks to us all corporately. So I invite you to just close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and just let go of the stress of the week, the the cold, any physical pain. Um, Just let it go. Visualize just giving it to the Lord, letting him carry your burdens for you. And just one more big breath in and out. And Father, we just welcome you. We are listening. We are listening to your word. We want you to speak to us tonight. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and open minds. So our passage today is Mark 1, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So, Father, in the silence, just highlight a word or a phrase or a thought that you have for us today. What is your message to us as individuals? is that God will speak to each of us, that something different will catch each of our hearts and our minds. Because 
we're all at different places. We're all asking God about different things. And so God is speaking to all of us individually as he also speaks to us together corporately. Um, and so it's each of us has kind of picked up on something different or something else has left out on us. And there's also kind of a big idea of this message, or the big idea of this passage that we're going to dive into together. Um, and it's kind of perfect timing to start with Mark because it's still the beginning of the new year. It's the beginning of the semester. It's kind of the beginning of a new season. Um, and this whole first section is all about new beginnings. So the new beginnings for the people of Israel, the new beginnings for Jesus. And it kind of is perfect for us because we're also kind of in this new beginning season. I mean, I've already given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but a lot of people already are still in the, like, in the beginning afresh in the new year. And just before we dive into this passage, we're just going to step out for a second for just a little bit of context about Mark, the Gospel of Mark, um, which is the shortest gospel, which is the first gospel. Um, so it's often in your Bibles, it comes after Matthew. When I was a little kid, I memorized the Gospels by singing to myself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all dead and gone. So that's like how I knew the order. But it stayed with me. It worked. Um, but so Mark is second in, the, in your Bibles, but he's actually the first Gospel. So it's probably written um, 60 A.D. And Mark, or John Mark, is who they, who they suspect wrote it, was an eyewitness disciple of Jesus. So this is someone who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ministered with Jesus. And then he traveled with Paul on his missionary trips. And he, and he was a friend of Peter's. And the church tradition is that he wrote down Peter's teachings. So he traveled with Jesus. He traveled with Paul. He traveled with Peter. Like he was in the inner circle. He knew what was going on. And he was the first to write down his journeys, the story of Jesus, all that he knew. Um, and probably for the church in Rome, because if we look back at the church in Rome around this time, they're being persecuted, they're being martyred, Christians are hated, they're, being, they're suffering. So probably at this juncture, they're starting to think, why am I doing this? Who is the person that I'm following? Why am I putting my life on the line? So Mark is writing that to them to say, remember, remember what you experienced, remember what you saw Jesus do, remember what we've given our life to. This is the Jesus that we're following. So that's kind of what's behind this gospel, is to remind people who are are suffering, what they're suffering for, who it is that they've committed their life to. Um, and he doesn't waste any time. He jumps, he jumps right in with, um, right into the good news of Jesus Christ. He wastes no time because he's fascinated by the person of Jesus and all that Jesus is going to change. Um, because with the arrival of Jesus, like we've talked about, the old is gone and the new has come. It's a new season. And Jesus is giving them what we like to call a divine do-over. So the people of Israel have struggled, they've stumbled, they've been lost, um, they've, been, um, they've suffered. And now this is their second chance. The coming of Jesus is their second chance to get right with God and to redeem any of the mistakes of the past. So Mark jumps right in, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the first line of his gospel. Um, it's actually interesting. It seems like such an easy first line. It's almost like saying, this is the beginning of my paper. So like, how much more simple and straightforward could it get? But there's actually some subtleties in that. Um, the word that's translated good news, uh, euangelino, which we now talk about the gospel. The gospel is good news. We just say, oh, we know what the, go- the word gospel means. It means good news. Uh, but it means so much more than that. So when Mark used this word, he knew that it meant the good news of the birth of an emperor. 
So it's joyful tidings, an emperor has come, or an, an emperor has been born, or it's the emperor's birthday. So that's how they would have been using it in his context, in the Roman context, to the Roman Christians that he's writing to. So this is going to be huge for them. They're saying, why, are they, why is he referring to Jesus with the terminology of an emperor? Um, this joyful tidings, good news, that something earth-changing has happened, something that will forever change history, something that will forever change um, the community. And Mark uses the term uh, of good news, euangelino, to be the good news of Jesus, who is the Messiah, who has come to, to reign and rule, the beloved king who has come to redeem his people. So as we said, the good news of Jesus, the joyful tidings, the history-changing arrival, is that the old ways of belonging, the old rules, the old laws, the old attempts, at obedience, the often failed attempts at obedience are over. They're done with. They no longer. Um, they're no longer sufficient. So Jesus is giving everyone a divine do, do over, a new chance to be part of the people of God, a new chance to redeem the struggles and the failures of the past. So the good news of Jesus: the old is gone, the new has come. There is a fresh start for everyone. And but. What's so new about that? So what's so different? What's the, every, we always think, oh, n- tomorrow's a new day, new chance, new opportunity. What's so new about specifically what Jesus has come to do? What is so different about his reign? What is so hopeful about what he's bringing? And so like we all talked about, John the Baptist is kind of a strange figure. So he's camping out in the wilderness. He's got his camel hair loincloth. He's got honey and locusts stuck in his teeth like who is this guy hanging out in the wilderness Um, and he is like Taylor pointed out he is living out old traditions the traditions of the Nazarite vow he's living them to the T yet at the same time he is opening up the doors to the new future the new promises of Jesus Um, and he is standing in the wilderness and he is calling the Jewish people to come to repent to be baptized which to us doesn't sound like a big deal. I'm sure you've all seen altar calls. Come down, come to the front, come be baptized, give your life to Jesus. For us, that's kind of standard practice. But for first century Jews, that was unheard of. So the Jewish people did not practice baptism as part of their religious rituals. The only reason you'd be baptized is is if you were a convert. So if you were a Gentile and you decided, I want to convert to Judaism, so you'd have to be circumcised if you're male and you'd have to be baptized. Um, And so baptism was for outsiders. It was for people who are not part of the family of God who wanted to come in. Um, It was not for the Jewish people themselves. But here's John John the Baptist, as Jewish as you can be, a Nazarite from the Old Testament, telling the Jewish people that the, the people who consider themselves to be God's chosen people, the special ones, the chosen ones, that unless they repented of their sins and they're baptized, they're not part of God's people. They're not part of the new thing that God is doing. Um, that the, these chosen people, this in crowd, is out. They're not the in crowd anymore. Because the new thing about Jesus is that his ministry is available to everyone. You didn't have to be Jewish. You didn't have to have this generational lineage. You didn't have to be grandfathered into the faith. Anyone was welcome into the kingdom of God. But you had to repent of your sins and be baptized. And what's interesting to me about this passage is Mark just says it so casually. It's like, no big deal. We're just changing hundreds and hundreds of years of traditions. But nobody complained, nobody grumbled, totally cool. But this is a massive change. So kind of a parallel would be 
if you were to turn to like uh, someone who's an American citizen and you would say to them, well, your parents were American and your grandparents were American and your great-great-great-grandparents came over on the Mayflower um, and you were born on American soil and you've been an American citizen your whole life. But unless you go through the immigration process, you're no longer American. So, And that would be very confusing for people. Confusing at best, insulting at worst, and pretty controversial. Everything you've known about yourself, everything you've believed about yourself, everything you've believed about your lineage is no longer true. You have to do something new now to be part of God's people. But to their credit, the text says thousands of people are flocking to John. So they're coming from Jerusalem, the center of Jewish culture, the center of Jewish identity, and they're flocking to the banks of the Jordan to be baptized like they're Gentiles. And so Mark writes that the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem came out to John the Baptist. And he, that might be a little bit of like storytelling, like everyone came to my party. I'm not sure, because uh, Tacitus, the Roman historian, says there are 600,000 people in Jerusalem around that time. So maybe, Mark, maybe John baptized 600,000. Maybe it was in the hundreds of thousands or just the thousands. Um, but they're making a 15-hour, 45-mile trek from Jerusalem to the Jordan River to be baptized by this kind of crazy-looking prophet. So this is not just a like casual, oh, I've got nothing to do. Maybe I'll go check out what John is doing. This is a commitment. I'm going to travel 15 hours, 45 miles, to go to the wilderness, to go to the middle of nowhere, where it's dangerous, where it's unsafe, where it's outside of my city, and I'm going to be baptized. So this is a huge movement. And there's something about John's message, as radical as it is, that has just captured their hearts. That the new has come. The old ways, the old rules, the old rituals, the old expectations have passed away and the new has come. You are welcome into the people of God. So if you want to follow the Messiah, you must be baptized and you must repent and then you are part of what God is doing in this new season. So we've got, just think about this if you can picture the scene. So thousands of people on the banks of the Jordan coming 15 hours, 45 miles to be baptized, leaving their Judaism behind, possibly um, alienating themselves from family and friends by choosing to do this. And into this kind of craziness walks a kind of unremarkable carpenter from Nazareth. So not necessarily, no one, he doesn't walk into the room and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's the Messiah, he's here, this is why we've come. No one notices him, he's not exceptional. He makes a nine and a half hour walk, a 30 mile walk, trip from Nazareth to be baptized himself. And the text doesn't tell us what happens, um, but the, the other Gospels will indicate that, that John, um, John immediately recognizes him. He knows this is the one who is to come. But Jesus keeps it quiet. But Mark, will write, Mark records this really important scene of where Jesus is identified as the Messiah. So just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so for a lot of us, that that passage resonates deeply. Those words are very powerful. And they're powerful for us, they're powerful for Jesus. Because it's not just new that you are part of a new people. That's not the only thing that is new that's happening here. Suddenly, you are following a beloved king. So no longer are you under the rule of a tyrannical, dictatorial emperor. 
but you are following in the footsteps of a beloved king who models what it looks like to be a beloved child of God. And beloved not for what you do, but just who you are. Because like we talked about, um, Jesus has done nothing at this point. He's, as far as we know, there's no recorded history of him doing anything, any public ministry in the first 30 years of his life. But here he is. He's made the trip from Nazareth. He's made the nine-and-a-half-hour walk unrecognized, nothing special, nothing specific, nothing unique, until heaven co- opens up and the Spirit comes down. And so before he's healed anyone or saved anyone or blessed anyone or preached anything... God affirms him as beloved and chosen, as his uniquely and specially sent one. And so there is nothing that Jesus had to do or prove or, or impress to be the Messiah. Probably at this point, only John even realizes who he is. So he's the beloved king, the loved Messiah, and he's ushering in a new season for the people of God. Like we talked about, he's giving the people a divine do-over. So they've repented of their sins. They've opted in to the kingdom of God. And then, as we talked about, Arpa pointed this out, after God declares from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased, the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness. Because that's what you do with a beloved son. You just... Send him out to Satan. Go and deal with it. Um, and that's an interesting passage. So it's problematic because this is the first. This is the first thing we see Jesus doing is really coming face to face with a, a really difficult challenge. But it's interesting to note. So he's sent out into the wilderness, and we often think of the wilderness, or I think of it as a negative place. I hate hiking. I hate bugs. I hate nature. So I think I don't hate nature, but it's not my preferred place. So when I hear wilderness, I think it's a lost place. It's a lonely place. It's a dangerous place. The, the passage mentions that the wild animals were with him. You're kind of at the mercy of the wild animals, and you're at the mercy of harsh conditions. But in the biblical text, there's that meaning of wilderness, but there's also the sense that wilderness is a place of rebirth. So it's a place where homes and cities and civilizations are built and they're rebuilt. It's a place of new beginnings. So it's like a fresh start. In the same way that um, in the 19th century people would go out west to get a new start, to get new land, new possibilities, new new potentials, people in the biblical text are sent out into the wilderness. So it's not necessarily a negative thing to be sent out into the wilderness. It's actually for us really positive thing because there's also this third symbolic meaning of the 40 days in the wilderness it's a call back to earlier Old Testament narratives Um, the wilderness was a place where the people of Israel wandered for 40 years because they were disobedient because they were ungrateful because they were angry with God for not doing what they wanted him to do the way they wanted him to do it when they wanted him to do it So God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He had made them promises that he would bring them into the promised land. But because of their disobedience, because of their anger, because of their infighting, they wandered in the desert, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And a whole generation of people didn't live to see the fulfillment of what God had promised them. So it's very significant, for multiple reasons, it's very significant that Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Um, Because he is redeeming what was lost before. He is 
reconnecting what what the people of Israel couldn't do, Jesus is doing on their behalf. He is tempted by Satan. He is surrounded by wild animals. He never questions. He never curses. He never disobeys God. He is attended by angels and he perseveres. So what the people of Israel struggle to do, Jesus fulfills. He redeems the failure of a previous generation. He proves himself faithful. And he models what a beloved son does in times of difficulty and trial. He allows himself to be led by God's spirit and he trusts that wherever that spirit takes him is where God wants him to be. So wherever the spirit takes him, good or bad, hard or easy, that's exactly where God wants him to be and God will be with him. So he gives the people of Israel a divine do-over and brings them out of the slavery, out of slavery to religious rules, out of slavery to customs and expectations and pressures that are outdated. And he brings them into that promised land that they have been waiting to realize, the promised land of freedom and the promised land of sonship. So the old is gone and the new has come. New access to God for anyone who will repent and be baptized and new freedom to be the beloved children of God. And so, I don't know about you, but many of us have had a wilderness experience. Um, Not actually physically in nature, but where you felt lost and alone, where you're unsure what to do, where to go next, where to turn, where you felt kind of isolated, um, relationally, professionally, academically, emotionally, personally. So you've had a wilderness experience. And even though it's a pl- like we said, it can be a place of new possibilities and new potential where new things can be birthed. It also can be a, a lonely, scary space um, and be really, really hard. So part of that power of the divine do-over is that Jesus has already overcome the wilderness. No matter how we might feel in any given moment, we're not lost and alone. Jesus has overcome the wilderness and he walks with us in our wilderness moments. Mark says that Jesus was attended or cared for by angels. And the beauty of this is that he was attended by angels, but we are attended by him. So we have him as we struggle, we have him as we question, we have him as we doubt. And sometimes in the wilderness moments, it's hard to see him. You don't feel him there. You don't understand why you're in the wilderness. Remember, Jesus is sent out. He has this emotional high, religious high with God, where God says, you are my beloved son. And then the next thing, he's in the wilderness. And probably some of you have felt that way. You've had an amazing experience. You felt so close to God. Everything seems to be falling into place. And then all of a sudden, it all falls apart. Everything you were counting on, everything you were depending on, everything you believed to be true, just seems to kind of like evaporate. And you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're supposed to go, you don't know what you're supposed to do next. So you can easily relate to that experience that Jesus has had. And a couple years ago I helped with an article, a sociological article, on why people leave the faith. Um, And one of the main reasons was that they found themselves in terrible, difficult, overwhelming situations, and they felt like Jesus wasn't there. So they said, why did you let this happen to me, Jesus? Why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you save me? So they had a wilderness experience where they were lost and alone, and they didn't think Jesus was there with them. 
But that's why it's so important to go back to these gospel texts and see what Jesus has already done on our behalf. Because Mark tells us that Jesus has overcome the wilderness. That there was nothing 40 days in the wilderness that Satan could tempt him or taunt him or discourage him. That he experienced, we can imagine he experienced fear and loneliness and anxiety and depression and discouragement. But he, he persevered. He followed God through it all. And now he can, he's available to guide us through it as well. And so sometimes in our wilderness experiences, I felt this myself, it's hard to see Jesus. I know cognitively that he's with me, that he's guiding me, but I don't always see him, I don't always feel him, I don't always understand. So we're going to just take a moment and try to see where God has been in our wilderness experiences. Because it's one thing to know something. I know Jesus is with me. But it's another thing to like feel him there with you. To know that like I'm not alone in this. And even though I can't see the way out, even though I can't see the path in front of me, I feel Jesus in it with me. And if Jesus is in it with me, I can make it through. So we're going to do a, a little guided meditation. Um, And try to see where Jesus is now. If you're feeling like you're in the middle of the wilderness now, where Jesus is now, or where he's been. If you've walked through wilderness experiences and you still are kind of carrying the scars on your back, and you still are kind of wondering to yourself, like, why did I go through that? Where was Jesus? Like, why did I have to walk through that alone? Um, We want to go back and see where was Jesus in that. Because you weren't alone. So this might be a little bit unfamiliar, um, but I'm going to invite you to just try to get out of the like hyper-rational side of your brain that says, like, I'm sitting in a room in the Nathan Hill Inn. I'm not in the wilderness. <laughs> um, God gave us an imagination, and he can use that imagination to speak to us, to minister to us, to kind of bring healing into our broken places. So just take a minute. Close your eyes if you want, and I want you to think about a time It can be present, it can be in the past, when you felt lost in the wilderness, when you were overwhelmed, when you were struggling with doubt, uncertainty, disbelief, if you were wondering if God was ever going to show up. just bring that memory back picture yourself back in that time back in that space back in that place and as detailed as you can be really paint a mental image of where you are what's around you what's in the room you're in what other people are around you what time of day is it Paint as vivid a mental image as you can. And as you return to that space mentally, I want you to return to that place emotionally. Try to let the emotions come back, even if they're unpleasant and uncomfortable. How are you feeling? What was weighing on your heart? What were the questions that were haunting you?
And so now as you picture yourself in that time and that place and you just let those emotions wash over you, look around and see if you can see Jesus. So use your God-given imagination and picture Jesus, whatever he looks like, in that space with you. So as you picture him, think, is he near to you? Is he walking beside you? Is he in front of you, showing you the way? Is he behind you, protecting you, even when you couldn't see him? What is he doing? What are the emotions on his face? having trouble seeing him just say in your heart or your mind Jesus where are you and wherever you see him and whatever he's doing just take a minute to share with him how you're feeling what telling him in detail what's going on Why are you feeling lost in the wilderness? And if you've struggled to see him, if you've struggled to feel him, just ask him where he's been. Why has he left you in the wilderness? is on your heart and listen to what he says. to you, I would encourage you to write it down. We've given you space in your bulletins to write down what you feel like Jesus is saying, the answers that he's offering you in the wilderness. So we'll give you just a couple minutes to write down whatever you felt like Jesus was saying. And I encourage you to take it home with you, pray over it. And remember, if you're 51% sure that it's Jesus, go with it. If you think it was Jesus speaking to you, sharing with you, being there with you trust it and pray into it 